Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm excited for our show today. We are going to be talking with Labina Fleming, and she has a fabulous new book out. Um, But before I introduce her, I always like to do a little housekeeping. So first of all, if you are new to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, we are about sound information, not just sound bites. We love hearing people's stories and what they're doing in the world, so Um, And again, that goes globally. Um, If you are living with symptoms, if you are caring for someone personally or professionally, have a business, a book, you know, if you're an author, if you have put together a film, music, um, everything is a go here. We only ask that we have respectful conversations, but we'd love to hear what what is your world like? What are you doing? What do you see the needs being? Also, um, a lot of people ask about our opening song, and that's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, and you are more than welcome to go ahead and download that on any of your favorite music platforms. I also want to give a shout out to Dementia Map. If you haven't gone and visited our new site, please do. Dementia Map is a global resource directory where all are welcome. There's no fee to use it. You don't have to give us any personal information or set up a membership. It is just there waiting for you to tap into all these wonderful resources. And if you um, if you have a resource you'd like added, you know, just reach out to me at Lori at Alzheimer's Speaks. I'd be more than glad to talk to you about that. We do have both free and um, enhanced plans, so we don't want budget to be an issue for anybody. We know when someone's created a service product or tool, there was a need for it. We want to help amplify that for you. Now, we do have a a couple of um, announcements. There is Arthur's um, Memory Cafe, which we meet the second and the fourth Wednesday of each month at 1 o'clock Central Time. Uh, That would be 2 o'clock Eastern, noon Mountain Time, and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Anyone is welcome to join us there. That is for care partners and uh, those living with dementia. Also, the um, Brookdale North Oaks is sponsoring a um, caregiver support group, which we do the last Wednesday of each month from 10 to 11 at the Shoreview Community Center. Again, be glad to get you information there. And I should say, um, I, I didn't mention, um, Arthur's Senior Care sponsors the Arthur's Memory Cafe. And, you know, they helped us launch the first one in the U.S., and we just adore them to death. Also, the Plymouth International Virtual Dementia Conference is still going on. 
today and November 10th. And you can find more information on that. Uh, just visit alzheimerspeaks.com. It's on the the home page. Now we are going to hear from the Footbar Walker, and then we'll be right back and introduce you to Introducing Lydia. the life-changing Footbar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The foot bar walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the foot bar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The foot bar walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's the thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the footbar walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the footbar walker. I love that walker, and you can now get that for under $200 by going to Dementia Map. Just look it up on the resource directory, footbar walker, and um, there's a discount code there. Uh, it's absolutely phenomenal to help reduce injuries to both the patients and those uh, helping them. And it gives them a little more dignity and a little bit more independence as well. So enough of our housekeeping. Let's, uh, let's get to our guest today. I am just thrilled to have her back with us. Uh, Labina Fleming is a former educator, hospice professional, and certified dementia practitioner she also won the 2021 Caregiver Friendly Award, and her book is a bestseller on Amazon. Labina also cared for her mother, who had Alzheimer's and vascular dementia, and she is really committed to sharing her insights, um, her knowledge, her experience, it just helps others have a little easier journey because it is it is a... Uh, it is just a roller coaster out there. And so today we're going to talk about her book, Caregiver to Caregiver, um, a scripture-focused uh, guided reflection journal. So welcome, Labina. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Lori. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you back. Now, I had mentioned that you took care of your mom. Can you give the audience a little bit more detail about, you know, how that journey started for you and, um, you know, what did you note from symptoms and, and, and maybe, maybe even tell them one thing you learned about dementia that you didn't know when you started the journey? Okay. Well, with my mom, uh, she, she was a feisty woman, uh, very, very independent. And she actually received her initial diagnosis of vascular dementia um, 10 years prior to her passing. And I can tell you that our family experienced probably a lot of what many families experienced. We went into denial. And I'm the book geek, so I started doing all of this research to try and figure out if it was something other than dementia because with my background with hospice, I knew what the outcome was going to be, and I did not want to go through that. So I was determined to prove 
that my mother did not have dementia. Um, there were other medical conditions that mimic symptoms of dementia, and she actually did indeed test positive for some of them, but they were in addition to and not instead of. So um, it, it, it was a 10-year journey for us, and my mother had a desire to live to the age of 90 for some reason. That, that number was random to us, but I'm sure it had some semblance of meaning for her. And so her goal became our goal, and um, we wanted to do whatever we could to keep her strong and healthy in the best shape possible so that she could recognize that goal of living to the age of 90. And um, I talk about our journey in my first book, I Love You Always, one family's Alzheimer's dementia journey and the lessons learned along the way. And that came from something that she always said to me when we parted or when we hung up the phone, she would always say, I love you always. So that's where the name of that first book came from. Things that we noticed as early symptoms with her were problems coming up with the right word or name for objects, um, trouble remembering names, uh, challenges performing task or, you know, um, in social or other settings, forgetting something that she may have just read. And the biggest one that we saw with her, she was constantly losing or misplacing objects. And of course, if you're familiar with dementia, anybody who's dealing with someone with dementia, they don't lose anything. You steal it, right? So <laughs> those were just the challenges um, that caused us to pursue a diagnosis for mom. Okay. Okay, great. Well, what what gave you kind of the push to write this next book, Caregiver to Caregiver, which is really a, a guided reflection journal? Um, you know, so, something must have just hit you to say this. there's a need out there for this. Yeah, I think um, starting with my first book and, and leading to the second one, um, I, I think that God speaks to all of us. Um, some of us are better listeners and doers than others, and I'm probably the other in that. I felt a nudge starting um, with being led to journal, and I really hesitated. I didn't want to do that, but I, I did become obedient. And um, that journal journal later turned into my first book, and after I finished writing the first book, I felt God telling me, you know, whenever we learn something that can help someone else, we can't keep that to ourselves. We have mm -hmm. to share and help others do better in their journey. So we're obligated to do that. So um, I guess if I were to say what was my impetus, it was God, because he would not stop nudging me until I followed that directive to share. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, I, I love that. I, I love your, I, I love this book. I think it's just so, so supportive. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what people will find in the book? Okay. I tried to, the objectives were number one, to give God glory for helping me through because anyone who's experienced that journey, you need to have something to hold on to, you know, and um, so I wanted to give him glory for seeing me through 
what I went through. And I wanted to take what I felt were the most valuable lessons that I learned during my caregiving journey. And I wanted to put this into a package, if you will, that would be not only an, a resource guide for people, but also would be an uh, opportunity for them to have an outlet. Because I can remember many times when I was caring for my mom, there were things that I would think or things that I would feel that I would feel so ashamed and embarrassed about, and I wouldn't dare discuss it with anybody. So this this journal, my caregiver to caregiver journal, is is that voice. It's that outlet for people to be able to express their their feelings and thoughts earnestly, um, and really see the value of releasing all of that stuff that we hold inside of us. So my book is actually divided into um, five or six different sections. Um, the preparation section, I talk about things that you do to prepare for your caregiving journey. You know, there's a lot of a lot of work that all of us can do before we even become caregivers that will um, make that journey a little bit easier as time progresses. And I have a section on self-care because we know that if we don't take good care of ourselves, we're not able to take care of others and providing tips for self-care. And I don't want to hear anybody say that they don't have time to take care of themselves. If you become incapacitated, who's going to care for your loved ones? So that right mm -hmm. there is telling you that you have time for self-care. Then I have caregiving tips that I've learned from the amazing um, hospice caregivers that I worked with, as well as other family caregivers that I've spoken with. I have a section on alternative care, which talks about not only nursing homes and assisted living, but also home care agencies. Um, just talking about ways to go about selecting those caregivers for your loved ones. And then I have a section called later that talks about just that when you're later in the disease process. So it's really for anyone. It's more geared towards seniors, people who are caring for seniors. And it is scripture focused. Um, it's divided into, um, I have a monthly scriptural guidance that reflects, um, reflects on, that just gives you thought, you know, to keep focused on for the month. Then I have a weekly focus scripture, which ties into the different lessons that are taught. And then I have lessons, which, again, are things that I've learned um, either from experience, from books, or from other caregivers. In the guided reflection section, I added in because a lot of people have trouble journaling. They don't know what or how to write. So this is exactly what it says. It's a guided reflection. I give you something to think about. It's a prompt, and you can write um, mm -hmm. write your thoughts down. So again, the goal is to, to provide an outlet for caregivers while also giving practical advice and then spiritual support. Okay. You know, you said you were, um, you know, kind of guided guided by God to – to write this book, did you ever hes hesitate with this book or the other book in terms of, you know, putting it together and, and following that cue? I hesitated with both books um, because I didn't feel qualified to write. You know, I've, mm -hmm. I've, I've always been a student. I consider myself a good teacher, but this, I did not feel I was 
um, equipped to do. Um, I'm not famous. I'm not a medical or legal professional, and I'm not a Bible scholar. So I was just like, okay, who am I to write this book? I'm just an everyday former caregiver who honors God and his word. But then I had a friend who reminded me that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And that stayed with me. And she said, if God was truly what I either had or that he would equip me with whatever I needed to share. Um, I had to trust the assignment was from God. And I prayed that he would give me the words and guidance that I needed to complete the task. So um, he showed me that regular people can do extraordinary things if they do it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I so agree. I, I so agree. I feel like I was kind of God driven to do this, that it was a spent a whole spiritual experience with Alzheimer's Speaks. And, and I too said the same thing. Who the heck am I? You know, I'm just kind of a daughter, but I'm a daughter on a mission, you know, to bring change. And, and I think it's that mission, it's that vision, it's that greater good piece that differentiates why people do what they do and um, how it's presented. And with your last book and this book, I, I just think they are, you know, they're just, they're, they're wonderful. And the other thing that I've learned, too, in this space since I've been in here since 2009 is people want to hear from real people who have actually been through what they've been through. I, I you know, they seem to resonate deeper um, and they really appreciate the skill sets and the insight even if there's not a PhD after it, um, they know how much work it is and how difficult it is to maneuver. And so any kind of cheat sheet they can get from a real life example is, is extraordinarily meaningful for most most family members and, and people living with dementia. And I think it's I think it's uh, valuable for the the doctors and the professionals out there too to be able to to have resources to be able to guide others, um, if not themselves. So kudos, kudos for you for stepping up and taking that risk because, you know, writing a book is a big risk of what are people going to think? How are they going to react? You know, all that ego stuff comes into play if we want to admit it or not a lot of times in our decision-making. It does. And what's funny um, when I think back is I, Especially, well, I've been a community educator for years on a variety of topics from organ donation to hospice care to advanced care planning. And um, what, what was really surprising to me as far as one of the things that I learned, you know, I, I thought I knew so much, you know, because I read so much and I researched so much. So I knew so much and I could stand in front of a group of people and just spout out um, statistics and you know, book data, but it wasn't until I became a caregiver that I really learned about dementia. It's, you know, all of that stuff that you read can go right out the window when it's time to put it into practice because you go from a headspace to a heart space. Yep. And that was a huge lesson for me to learn. You know, it was like, ah, oh, <laughs> you thought you could just do this. Well, let me tell you, it's not going to be that easy because, you know. Yeah. So even in the decision-making process for, for so many things, you know, I knew what I was supposed to do. 
But, you know, this was my mom, so it had an impact on the decisions that, that I made. Sure. Now, have you always journaled yourself? Or... No, I really didn't enjoy journaling. Um, I had sat down several times, and I just saw it as an, another task that, that was to be performed. I never had really gotten into it, but when um, – when I felt called to start journaling my experiences with my mom, you know, the, the journaling turned from a task into something that I looked forward to do. It was a release. Um, my journal became my trusted friend, you know, and it just really, um, it really became an outlet for me. You know, it was my safe space where I could say whatever I felt and say whatever I was thinking and I didn't have to worry about you know, what anybody's reaction was going to be. You know, my journal listened without judgment. It didn't make me feel guilty when I was angry or tired or hurt. And it didn't make me feel guilty when I didn't want to be a caregiver. And I told it that, you know. So, Mm -hmm. no, I journaled. I tried to journal, but I never really got into journaling until um, being led to do it while caring for my mom. Yeah. It wasn't really a It was a release. Yeah, and I think that's what people don't understand is, you know, it's it's kind of like a personal event, <laughs> you know, to just get get all those feelings, acknowledge them and release them instead of carrying carrying them around. You know, you had mentioned, you know, even the thought of of saying I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be a caregiver. I mean, that's a really hard thing to say out loud. And um, I think with that, you know, there's a lot of frustration, but there's a lot of feeling of of guilt, of embarrassment, of all kinds of things wrapped in with a statement like that. And yet it's important to to get that out of your body so it doesn't stir in there and literally make you sick. And, um, you know, I just, I find so much power in journaling, but I do see so many people fearful. Oh, I don't know how to do that. Well, there isn't a right way or a wrong way to really journal. It could be a word. It can be a poem. It can be a story. It can be a sentence. It can, it can be all kinds of different things. It, you know, anyways, that's what I have found. Um, would you be in, a, in agreement in that? Or do you have a certain method that you like people to follow? No, I have no method. You know, sometimes um, it, it's a prayer that I pray to God, you know, mm-hmm. something that I need help, you know, with. Or um, sometimes it's an expression of anger. Sometimes it might be a word that I don't want to say. You know, it's a, um, there, there's no rhyme or reason. You know, it's your journal. Think of your journal as your very best friend that you know you can say anything you want and you're not going to be judged. And I did have one woman tell me that she was afraid that someone would find her journal. Mm-hmm. So I told her, I said, just clean your mattress and your box spring and don't worry about it if you're really that concerned about it, you know. Because um, some people, I mean, that's a valid fear. You you know, some people yep. don't want, they, they do have that concern that somebody might find it. So, um I acknowledge that, you know, you just find mm-hmm. a safe place, someplace you feel is safe and keep it there. Yeah. 
I've journaled in the past, and I laugh because I'm like my I, I, my writing is just so horrible. It's not, and no one could read it if they wanted to. And I don't know why that is because, I mean, I, I don't necessarily have the best writing, but it's usually readable. But when I would journal, it would rarely be readable to the common eye. <laughs> and I don't know and if that was my unconscious work and its wonders, you know, within <laughs> me going, maybe I had that fear and didn't know. I don't know. <laughs> Makes me wonder now. But, you know, that is that is true. I mean, you know you, what you've written. Anybody who looks at it doesn't need to know what you've written. So I like that technique, actually. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of kind of funny. You know, one of the things you have in here, which I just think is brilliant, and it's one of your your lessons that kind of goes with a with the reflection. And it says, depression is not a weakness. It's your body's way of telling you that that uh, there's something you need. And I think people get so often weary and exhausted and can can be in a depressed state and not even know it uh, because they're too busy being busy taking care of things and, and you just get depleted. And I think it is very common where we do, we do feel guilty, we do feel embarrassed of that word you know, depression or having any, you know, I mean, we, we've got so much um, mental illness and mental drain on us in this world these days. And, you know, we have to, we have to get beyond that and say, we all have these emotions at one time or another, and they're going to vary. You know, this stuff is, this is normal. You know, if it gets too waylaid, you know, you might need some support, but I think so often um, people just, they go off the deep end, not realizing that some of these are just normal emotions you're going to go through and you're not going to be, you know, um, peppy all the time and in control rarely, you know, when you're dealing with dementia, you know, you're, you're going to have to get spontaneous. And if you're not used to that, if you're used to controlling everything, it, it does get exhausting and, you know, it, it does get difficult to deal with. Um, what, what are your feelings? You know, I mean, that must have been a strong statement for you to put that in the book. You know, depression is not a weakness. How do you think people look at depression and, and deal with it as a whole? I think it's different now than it used to be. Um, but I, I really believe that now depression does not have the horrible stigma that it used to have. And I think that's because people are becoming more open and honest in sharing what they're feeling. Um, It absolutely is not a sign of weakness. I see it as a sign of strength to see and recognize that something is wrong and to try and get the help that you need. But I think, like you said, sometimes when we're on a, a caregiver, you're on that go, 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 go. You don't even have time to think about what you're feeling. And mm-hmm. I can remember um, one of the stents my mother had in the hospital, and I was just up and down the highway and, you know, just trying to do so many different things. And at one point, I remember walking out of the hospital, sitting in my car, and I started driving, and, and my husband called me, and I just burst into tears. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize just how worn and weak I was. Yep. And I, yep. oh my God, 
I'm depressed. I don't have time to be depressed, you know? <laughs> yep. But <laughs> it's, um, I, don't, I don't think it has near the stigma that it used to have. And I think there are so many outlets for us now. Um, they've got some amazing support groups online for persons who are dealing with dementia and the caregivers. There, there are just so many supports for us. And, and I think that has been a help because it really lets you see that you're not the only one. You're not well, the it, only one. So much yeah. company out there, so many people that are feeling like you feel. And I think that's helped tremendously. Well, I know for me, I think one of my problems was I was not sleeping good at all. I mean, my I, my sleep hours cut back and then I didn't sleep sound because I was still worried and thinking about my to-do list and everything out there that was kind of haunting me. And Man, if you can just get on a good sleep cycle alone, I found for me that that's a miracle in and of itself because my body was basically able to recalculate itself and rebalance itself because, you know, a lot of times I know for, for myself when I'm feeling down, I'm just worn out. I'm just, I yes. just I'm just worn out. There's not enough time in the day and then I worry about being worried, you know. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, I'm making this worse, you know. Um, and I, I've learned, you know, I'm 62 now, and I've learned now where if I'm if I'm really spinning or just exhausted, I'll go take a nap. I, I you know, I never used to do that. But I, I listen to my body. Caregiving has taught me to listen to my body more and not ignore and just keep pushing and pushing and pushing knowing and and my mom always said this it'll be there tomorrow you know it's not going away whatever's on your list but sometimes you need to get stronger in order to accomplish more and uh, you know i always thought well let me just get this done let me get and i would always have one more thing just let me get this done let me get this done but it was taking me longer to get those things done because i was exhausted or i was down or whatever it was you know going on um i wasn't thinking as clear and to me, that was one of my one of my biggest lessons. And you know, I I still slip and slide on that every now and then. But but I think I'm much better than than what I once was. Um, now the the book has a real Christian emphasis, uh, which I think is is wonderful. Um, why did you go that route versus just having it kind of a more universal appeal? And and would you ever considered doing something that's more universal as well? That's a really good question. I, um, As far as the Christian emphasis, you know, if it had not been from the push from God, you know, I wouldn't have written either of the books. And mm-hmm. it goes back to the purpose of the books. And um, my purpose was twofold. One, to glorify God. And two, to provide as much support to other caregivers as I possibly could. I can't remember the the exact quote from Maya Angelou. I think it was something like, um, do the best you can until you know better, and when you know better, do better, or something mm-hmm. along that line. And, you know, I do, I really, truly believe um, that God directed me and said, you know, hey, you you can't keep this. You've learned so much, and it will be such value to other people you have to share. So how could I not share him in the process of sharing the story? Mm-hmm. And also, um, 
um, I, I think that those on that dementia journey, caregivers and the persons who have dementia, it's the most harrowing experience that I think anyone can imagine because you feel so extremely helpless and you know what the outcome is going to be and you want to honor your loved one during the course of the journey. And I just know that if it had not been for the faith that I had in him, that I would not have survived that journey. I just, there's no doubt in my mind. And I want to serve his purpose, not my own, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I think that uh, Corey uh, Ten Boom said, in order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to fill the storm. And dementia is certainly a storm. And God was most definitely my anchor. So, um, yeah, it would have had a much greater appeal probably if not for the Christian reference. But that was my goal was to share his word and my experience. So, um in that respect, no, I, I will continue to let him lead me in, in my writing course. Um, mm-hmm. If I write, I, I want him to lead me. And it's funny because I, I probably would make a ton more money if I hadn't because mm-hmm. people have said such things. But I, it's not about the money is nice. I'm not going to lie. That would be nice. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's um, more important that I do his will. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I I understand that. The reason I asked, I was talking with someone today who has written some books and and, um, she had kind of gone down the the Christian path and someone said, have you ever thought of doing one for other other beliefs? And she just kind of paused and and, and then she ended up doing some others and she's like, I learned so much about Mm -hmm. others' beliefs. And she said one of them actually turned out to be one of my favorite books. And so I thought that was interesting because I think, uh, you know, everybody wants to honor who, who whoever they believe in. And yet what you have here is is so powerful and guided um, and will give somebody a lot of comfort. But, but maybe someone who um, isn't of Christian belief will, will never see this, you know, I, I, because a, a lot of times I think there's a, I think there's a stigma, you know, between religions and things that, that crops up, but there's so much to learn. And I think there's so much overlap, um, you know, things might be worded a little bit differently, but again, it's, it's a guided presence, um, you know, typically for the greater good. And uh, so I, I just thought I would bring that up. Um, you know, you know that. that's something to pray about, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, I'm led that's as I do, you know, so mm-hmm. God loves all people. so um whatever whatever he directs me to do, that's what I'll do. Mhm. Yeah. I understand. Um do you have a like a, a favorite portion of the book itself? I think as far as a favorite portion, um I think the the most valuable portion, I think, to me, is the preparation portion of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, because something, whether we're caregivers now, you know, we're either going to be a caregiver or somebody's going to be taking care of us. Mm-hmm. And I just think there's a section in the preparation section of the book that would be valuable to everybody wherever you are in the um 
in the caregiving journey, um, whether it's pre or post, you know, or in the midst of. I just mm-hmm. I just think that value in all of the sections. Um, but if I had to say one, what is most valuable, probably self care, mm-hmm. because nothing is possible if you're not taking care of yourself. Oh, exactly, exactly. Now, you have one lesson in here. It says, always have a plan A, B, C, D, and E, and be ready to put one into place at at a moment's notice. Um, I'd like you to dive into that one a little bit more because I I have a – I used to do that, but I found it really wearing on me. And so I'd like to hear – where you're coming from with this and 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 why that is and and maybe maybe I'm taking it out of context. Okay, with with us um when we finally accepted my mom's dementia diagnosis, we started trying to think in terms of, you know, what's going to happen as this illness progresses. So in in her case, you know, her desires were to live to be 90 and to stay in her home. Those mm-hmm. were two things most important to her. So with that in mind, we were thinking, okay, you know, we can't control how long somebody lives, but what kind of things can we try to put in place in her home so that it would make it more conducive for her staying there? So mm-hmm. it might include um, putting hand railings and special chairs and, you know, just um, care-friendly um, appliances, care-friendly fixtures, those types of things. Just So just thinking along those lines of things that we would have to do. And then home care, you know, what mm-hmm. would we do for home care and how would that be paid for? And, you know, so we're thinking all of this stuff is going to be far down the line. So that's what I mean by the A, B, and C. Okay, if this happens, this is what we're going to do. And if this happens, this is what we're going to do. And if this happens, this is what we're going to do. And I think it's good to have those plans, but realize they're not going to happen in A, B, C, D order. Mm-hmm. You know, you could, you could have something that would take you to plan C, you know, instead of starting at plan A. So, because everybody's dementia journey is so different. So we had planned for one of my nephews um, who, due to some health problems of his own, was unemployed, and he was going to be an in-home caregiver for my mom, Um, and, you know, before she got really bad. So that was the plan. Well, we didn't think in terms of, well, what if he's not available? That was just our plan. You know, we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. Well, when it came to incorporate that plan, he wasn't available. We couldn't even find him. So Mm -hmm. we went into cross mode. So in this case, we should have said, okay, um, this is our first, course of action but if this course of action doesn't work out then this is what we can possibly do you know just have more than one possible action to address a situation so that's Mm -hmm. I think what I mean and then just recognizing that any one of those things can occur at any time Mm -hmm. it's better to have a plan that you know, a plan of action instead of having to go totally into crisis mode and having to start from square one to try and figure out what to do. Yeah, I would agree. I guess as my mom's journey um, proceeded, 
And I was always I was always doing multiple plans. And what I for me what I realized I think in the beginning it's extremely important to be able to you know have some ideas and do some research in terms of what you want to tap into. But what what I found was I was doing multiple plans for many different things. And you know for me what I learned was that I have the basic knowledge and when something hits the fan, I'm going to have to regroup anyways. And so I was, mm-hmm. I, I, I stopped myself at one plan. You can have one alternative plan, but you couldn't have more because I was wasting, I felt I was wasting too much of my time and then I was missing the current moment, you know, and those were some of the things that fed my soul oh. and kept me, kept me whole because um, I would, otherwise I was kind of like this uh, rat on a, on a hamster wheel, you know, just running and running and running. And, and so much of what I was planning for didn't necessarily happen. But I learned that over time, you know. But I think in the Absolutely. beginning, you know, plan and kind of a map um, really makes a right. super ton of sense. And I, I think that um, the main idea I was trying to get across was that, you know, you, you need to have some idea of what you're going to need along the way so that you don't have to operate in crisis mode. And um, especially if you have multiple people involved in decisions that are being made, Mm -hmm. you know, just having a general consensus about, you know, the course of action or even for all of us, the most important thing I think really for all of us, while we are of sound mind um, is to to plan for yourself, you mm-hmm. know, write things that you want to happen as you age and as your illness progresses and as you near, near end of life. It's just too many times people are caught off guard and they have no idea what to do or how to do it. So the time to do the research and the homework is before you need the research and the homework. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I, I totally, totally agree with you on that. Um, you know, your your book is 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 different, you know, because of the the scripture um, presence, but but I think it's also different in some in some other ways as well. What are your thoughts on how your book is different from other journals that are out there? I mean, some of them are just blank pages and go fill it in. Here's a journal, <laughs> you know. It's funny because I I had initially started looking at other journals when I felt led to write mine, and then I was just like, oh, stop, because you're not writing something that's already out there. I I can't speak to a lot of the other journals out there. I do know that you're right. Some might have a picture on a page with with lines for you to fill in. Um, There are some that give you a writing prompt, you know. Mm -hmm. I have not one like mine. I'm not sure, but... Um, I can only say that I was led to create a journal that addresses many of the challenges that are faced by caregivers um, Mm -hmm. to offer words of encouragement via the scripture and to offer advice based on the experience of hundreds of caregivers that I've spoken to over the years. Um, And then I provide assistance in the writing process through the guided reflections. I can say that my journal is spirit led and spirit fled and that I trust that God will place it in the hands of those who would benefit most from it. Mm-hmm. In his time, 
time, I guess, is what I have to get used to. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that when when you feel God telling you to do something, you want to see instant. I want to see instantaneous results, and I have to learn to sit back and just say, you know, okay, I've I've completed this task, and you know, take take it where you want to go, God. Yep. Yep. No, that patience thing wears on me too. You know, it's just like, come on, you know, what's going on here? Um, yeah, kind of funny. One of the things you have in here too is plan for the worst, but, but hope and pray for the best. And sometimes I, you know, what I have found over the years is that I can hope and pray for the best, but I'm also not identify. I also, I don't think was identifying the true moments of joy until later on in my journey. Um, I, I was, I was overlooking those. I was always focused on, oh my gosh, what's going to happen now? You know, really, this is what we're up against. And I, and I focus a lot of my time on that and trying to divert, you know, find a way to detour around it or, or make it better. But I wasn't, I, I wasn't really identifying the, the moments of joy it still existed. They were very different, but they still existed. Did you find yourself going through that too? I think um, I think by being by having the things that we were able to put in place in place, I think that allowed me to be able to experience more of those moments and allowed me to be more in the moment. Mm-hmm. Than thinking about what's going to happen next or what was I going to do next or da 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 da. You know, mm-hmm. I know that even the best plans can fall through. I yep. recognize that. So it's like you you do the homework ahead of time, and then I think that allows you the opportunity to really be more in the moment with your loved one. I really do. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I have great memories of times with my mom, and I have a lot of not so great memories of time with my mom too but um like I had someone ask me once you know you you continue to go out to in spite of the way she behaved mm-hmm. yep <laughs> you know that was that was our special time I would take her to her favorite restaurant for as long as she was able to go out and it was a Chinese buffet mm-hmm. and she would sit would complain that the food was cold, even if it was steaming. And she would watch the people, you know, going through the buffet and say very inappropriate things. And I would have to, you know, try to reel her in and she would tell me to shut up or whatever. But, you know, those, those, that was a precious memory for me. That, Mm -hmm. that was, um, that was our special time together. And, um, I, I wish I had had a sign that said, you know, please ignore her. She has dementia. But, uh, <laughs> and I would often tell her, you know, you're going to get us hurt. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think that it is important to enjoy those special moments as they appear, you know, and really treasure them because you don't know how long they're going to last. Everybody with dementia, you know, one person with dementia is one person with dementia. They all don't present the same way all the time. 
So, you know, there are certain similarities, but still, you can't judge everybody with dementia and expect the same behaviors out of one as you do with the others. But it, it is so important to make moments of joy and to experience the joy wherever it presents itself. You know, really try to know your loved one. Um, remember the things that they used to enjoy and try to expose them to those things. They may not react but maybe they will. It might awaken something in them. You know, we just don't know. Um, try to focus on what's still there as opposed to what's lost. Mm-hmm. And try to empathize, you know, with your loved ones too, because this is something that happened to them. They didn't choose this. It's not their fault that they have this 99.9% of the time. So, you know, just just recognize that even though it's a headache for us as caregivers, you know, try to put yourself in their place and feel what they must be feeling. My mom would say all the time, I know something's wrong with me, but I don't know what it is. And mm-hmm. she was so troubled with that, you know. So um, they, they've lost more than we could ever lose, yeah. you know. So we we just need to really be empathetic, Um to 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 our loved ones and and just recognize they they don't want to be the way they are you know this is something that happened to them exactly exactly you know you you had mentioned about um you know really figuring out what what brings them joy but in your book you also have in the journal you also have you know what brings you joy? There's one one spot that says, you know, what movies just, you know, make you laugh or bring you a calmness or whatever. And don't forget to watch a couple of those, you know, during the week. Because um, sometimes I think we can get so focused on them that we forget about refilling ourselves and having that balance. I know I, you know, I just kind of cut myself off from all my friends. And thank God they didn't give up on me because I, I didn't know how empty I was until I finally did meet with them. And then it was like, oh, my gosh, I've turned into this beast that I don't even recognize because I was so I was like I was overwhelmed, but not admitting that I was overwhelmed with everything and that I was missing kind of my my old life, you know, before caregiving. And, you know, once. Once I did get together with my friends, boy, I made that a weekly thing. And I had pushed that off, I bet, two years. You know, I just, I didn't have time. I didn't have time. I didn't have time. And then it was like, oh, my gosh. I really, I I walked out a whole different person after meeting them. I, I felt normal again. I felt myself again. And I think it's easy to get lost in this journey. Oh, my God, it is so easy to get lost. And I do try and stress that in my book, that it's important that we hold on to as much of ourselves as possible during the caregiving journey. Because the caregiving journey, even though it feels like it's going to last forever, it's not. And what are you going to do once it's over? I mean, that is so hard when that door closes and you sit and you go, what now? You know, you gave so much yourself to that person and to that time and to that journey that you lost who you were as a person. And it really takes a long time to adjust to that new normal for you or to create that new normal for you. So I think it is extremely important that we hold on to as much of our our own lives and our own interests 
um, as possible during the journey. We have to make time for that. We have to. Yeah, I I totally agree. And, you know, you don't, a lot of times you don't know what's lost until you found it again because you're so busy being busy in this process. Anyways, that's what I found for, for me. And um, and then it, then it was like, yeah, it was, it was one of those learning lessons that I'll, that I'll never, yeah. uh, hopefully I'll never forget because it was just such a powerful, powerful learning lesson um, for me in terms of taking care of yourself. And you don't even realize sometimes I think we take it for granted, you know, that we're, that we're well, you know, it's like so many other things in life. We just take, we take it for granted. We don't really know the meaning behind it until we've lost it and we see the effects it has on us. And so, well, I can't believe our hour is almost up here. Time just flies. I, like I said, I'm I'm so thankful that you came back on the show to to uh, share your new book with us again. The book is called Caregiver to Caregiver, a scripture focused guided reflection journal, and um, I I highly recommend it. I I think this will give you a lot of insight and comfort. And again, remember journaling journaling looks different for everybody it's kind of like when you've met one person with dementia you've met one same with journaling doesn't have to be up to anyone's standards but yours and um, what makes you feel comfortable and i i also think it's just such a healing process to journal to just identify what's truly going on especially when you don't feel comfortable verbally saying those words or sharing those comments with others it's just a it's just a release and an acknowledgement that I think lightens the load. I couldn't agree more. I didn't feel that way before my journey, but I certainly feel that way now. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. So people can um, get a hold of you. They can go to your website, labinafleming.com. You're also on Twitter with Labina F. Your email is authorlfleming at gmail.com. You have a Facebook page, which is titled Author Labina F. And, of course, you can find the book um, on Amazon. And, again, the title is Caregiver to Caregiver, a Scripture-focused Guided Reflection Journal. So, again, thank you so much, Labina, for, for sharing with us. Um, to our audience, I hope you like, click, and share this show with others. You know, we we can't let little nuggets like this go unfound. It's our responsibility as a caring community to share this stuff. So help us do that. Um, she put a lot of work into this book, and I know you'll get a lot out of it. So thank you so much. And again, Labina, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Lori. I appreciate you. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Have a blessed week. Bye-bye.